You follow along, Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before he came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all of this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken uh, through, by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin will be with child, will bear a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and they called his name Jesus. Father, pray today that you'd be honored in your church. Thank you for the simplistic message of Christmas, how your love condescended down in the God-man we know as Jesus of Nazareth. And I pray today as we walk through this story that we would see it with fresh eyes and it would indeed bring joy and rejoicing to our heart for we are called by your precious name as believers. I pray in his name, the Lord Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. All right, you'll find uh, an outline in your worship bulletin today. Uh, as we first talk about three things that uh, are brought forth in this text, the first is we see there was a visit by what I'm calling a nocturnal messenger because an angel here appears to Joseph and really gives him an assurance that, uh, that Mary indeed was with child. She was going to bring forth a son and Joseph was to see that this child would be named Jesus. Now, we also read in Luke's gospel that, uh, that God had sent an angel, Gabriel, and makes mention of who the angel was that came to Mary and also indeed confirmed in her, uh, with her that she had conceived and bring forth a child and be called Jesus as well. It says in Luke 1, 32 and uh, 33, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And to his kingdom, there will be no end. So we can assume now, even though it's not mentioned, the, 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 the angel's name, we only have two proper names of angels in all the Bible. We've got Michael and we've got Gabriel. And Gabriel comes to Mary, so we can assume perhaps that he also would come to Joseph and really tell him what he needed to know and not that being not to break off the relationship because he up until this uh, interaction with this angel believed Mary to be unfaithful a betrayal of the betrothal period which was a 12-month period of fidelity of proof before they would be or they would consummate their marriage and so now Joseph it seems in his graciousness we read was going to simply put her away privately and not cause any more shame or scandal upon her. So a couple of things become immediately evident. First, it's this. God is communicating to Joseph by a dream. 
And he's using a messenger. That's what the word angel means, a divine messenger. But this is no isolated event. Matter of fact, four occasions in two chapters, we find God speaking to Joseph, and each time it's through dreams using an angel. So it seems that God preferred this method of conveying his will in this uh, narrative of the birth of Jesus. However, today if we're seeking to do God's will, it may be in vain that we wait that God would give us some kind of dream for, to, to, for, for his direction. Because we know today, since we have his word, he primarily speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit of God. He sometimes speaks to us through circumstances and oftentimes in prayer or through other people. Uh, So unless, I would tell you, unless you have a dream that God gives you chapter and verse uh, uh, of what you should do, I wouldn't assume that God was giving you that dream. I know I've I've been having more dreams than I wish of late, and they're just weird. You know what I mean? Uh, and, 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 and usually to some frustration, you know, that I can't get something accomplished that I'm trying to do. And I, I know it's not of the Lord, but I'm telling you, I don't care what you're dreaming. If you don't get chapter and verse on that, I wouldn't be confident that God was in that dream. Verse 19 tells us Joseph was a just man. Just, that he was a righteous man. Certainly it doesn't mean that Joseph was perfect. Nor neither was Mary, for that matter. I touched on this uh, uh, at the wonder of Christmas. You know, uh, we, we, we are a little reluctant to esteem Mary as high as, uh, as maybe we ought because she's exalted of God, chosen to be the mother of the God-man. Uh, but she was not the co-redemptress, not on a, a level or a peer the, the, uh, with Jesus himself, but she was remarkable. But she was not righteous She was only made righteous the same way that you and I are made righteous, as Joseph would be made just or righteous, and that is through faith in the Lord God. You remember Paul would borrow that phrase, and the just shall live by faith in Romans chapter 1, and he would get it from the prophet Habakkuk, that the just, those who are justified, those who are made righteous are made that way because they believe. Here's what becomes obvious about Joseph in the text. When God spoke, he obeyed. In verse 24, he did as the angel commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. So let's just pause right there just a moment. When God spoke, he obeyed. Can I tell you one of the identifying traits of every believer is this, and it is obedience. In John 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. In 1 John chapter 2, we know we have come to know him. How? If we keep his commandments. Conversely, if you refuse to obey God's truth and his will for your life, because your love for God has waned, can I tell you the assurance and confidence of knowing him will always be sacrificed. How do we know that we know him? Because we are people who walk in obedience. And Joseph completely changed his intentions after God spoke to him, revealing his will. May it be said of you and me in the coming year that we not only heard the word of God, but we heeded the word of God. That we did the word of God. We became doers of the word, not hearers only. There's a curious verse in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, regarding 
speaking of Jesus, it says, even though he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And I would submit to you, however, that Jesus perhaps did learn obedience through his illicit suffering, but can I tell you, he also learned obedience because he saw it modeled even in his own parents. His mom and dad obeyed. They modeled the faith. When God spoke, they acted. He saw it displayed. You know, the psalmist would write, Oh, Lord, help me to walk in integrity in my home. So, parents, if your children model your obedience, if they model your attitude, if they model your character, if they use your language, I'm asking you today, would that make you proud? If they react like you do to trials and adversity and respond in a way that would honor you, would honor God, if they give the way you give, if they forgive the way you give, is that sufficient? We're to model obedience. Mary and Joseph gave us a model of personal obedience. Let me move quickly. Not only this nocturnal messenger, the angel speaking to Joseph here, we find what I'm calling the necessary miracle. The necessary miracle. The angel of the Lord also told Joseph that Mary's baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It was in confirmation of what the prophet Isaiah had written 700 years earlier. And Matthew borrows that prophecy and, uh, of, of Isaiah 7:14, which says, Lord, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Do you realize there are six Hebrew prophets who wrote about the coming advent of the Messiah? Chronicling these future details of this coming event. And while all of these are important, can I suggest to you none would rival the essential theological necessity of the virgin birth. While liberal theologians have doubted it or diminished it, we stand today to say it is absolutely true just as God's word has recorded it, has promised. So under A, let's talk about the prophecy. Isaiah seven fourteen, Matthew's gospel has a purpose for writing. And he's writing this, that they, his audience, which was a Jewish audience, would come to know that Jesus Christ is king. He's king of the Jews. He's king of the world. So Matthew uses Old Testament prophecies throughout this gospel. Can I tell you some 60 times connecting the dots, weaving the tapestry for us to see that, yes, Jesus is indeed the Christ. And while Isaiah's prophecy, written 700 years earlier, had immediate application to when it was written, I'm telling you, it had ultimately making its full application when Jesus Christ would come. See, it was written in the time of King Ahaz. He was going to have a son, not with a virgin, but with a young woman, because that word Alma in the Hebrew can be translated young woman. But now, in fulfillment, Mary would come as the virgin, and she would fulfill this prophecy ultimately in being, uh, delivering Jesus, the virgin-born Son of God. That word I made mention, Alma, in the Hebrew, uh, 
is, is also used multiple times. 80% of the time, it's translated virgin, not, not just young woman. In Exodus and Psalms and Proverbs, Song of Solomon is translated virgin. And, and actually, in, in, in 250 B.C., when the Septuagint was written and delivered, which was the Old Testament now to be written in the Greek language, the word uh, uh, Parthenius was used, which means virgin. And so now he's saying, look, here is the fulfillment of what Isaiah had written about in the time of King Ahaz, but here's what's happening that this one will be born of a virgin, and this virgin will be a phenomenal sign. That's what Isaiah said, and this will be a sign. Now, you ask me to explain the virgin birth physiologically, I have no answer. But I'm just telling you today, theologically, you explain it away and you have no salvation. The virgin birth is ultimately the great necessity of belief for us in who Jesus Christ is. That Jesus was born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit. That's how he becomes this name, Emmanuel, God with us. So it's the mystery and certainly the miracle of the virgin birth. We see the prophecy. But let's talk quickly about the purpose. Understand, God wasn't just doing the miraculous for doing the sake of doing the miraculous. He doesn't do that. They're, these things have a purpose. When Jesus did the miracles, they had a purpose. They were validating who he was as the Son of God, or it was done out of birth, out of compassion for someone. So understanding why Jesus was born of a virgin and not simply two biological parents is essential in understanding the salvation that you and I have been provided Theologian J.R.W. Stott says the virgin birth is an underlying assumption in everything the Bible has to say about Jesus. To throw out the virgin birth is to reject Christ's deity, the accuracy and authority of Scripture, a whole host of other related doctrines that are the heart of the Christian faith. No issue is more important than the virgin birth to us understanding who Jesus Christ is. If we deny that Jesus is God, We have denied the very essence of Christianity. So the first purpose of this miracle of the virgin birth is relative to we needed a perfect sacrifice. Here's what we can agree on today. We're all born with a sin nature, a propensity to live our lives in sin. And the best we can do, Isaiah would write in chapter 1, our righteousness are like filthy rags. So we have no righteousness on our own to justify ourselves with a holy God. Not by works of righteousness, it says, uh, have we been saved. But, but, but God came as the perfect sacrifice. Thus, the atoning sacrifice would have to be different than us. Can we agree on that? A new Adam would have to come. And Jesus Christ had the God nature in him because he was the virgin-born Son of God. He was perfect. He was divine. And the blood that flowed through his veins was the pure and holy God-given blood by his heavenly Father. Here's what we know biologically. It's the Father that determines the bloodline. None of the blood that flowed through the vein that flows through the veins of a child in the embryonic sac circulates in the mother's body, so we can assume that the father determines the blood. 
and the only perfect sacrifice would have to come from God himself if, there, if this child, this coming one, was to be perfect. And so it was with Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews would say, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all time, there having obtained eternal redemption. We've got a perfect sacrifice in the God-man. Here's what I say about Jesus. He's all God as if he were no man at all. He's all man as if he were no God at all. He wasn't half God and half man. He was all God and all man. He's the God-man. So we see him as the perfect sacrifice. But we also need this virgin birth as a personal substitute for us. My sin and your sin had to be atoned for because someone ultimately has to pay for their individual offenses. No sin goes unpunished. What does the Bible say? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Someone had to pay the ransom price. And we find this truth in the Old Testament, New Testament alike, that there are no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. So understand, Jesus was the virgin born, perfect in conception, perfect in life, that he might be the perfect sacrifice of God. And his atoning work is only realized, however, when you, or if you, will receive him as your personal Savior and Lord. When he comes to abide in your heart through faith, he becomes the, the personal substitute and the atonement for your sins. Romans 4, 5, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. So here's the way it works. Somebody's got to pay. We're all held accountable. Every man will stand before God and give an account of himself. And unless you have accepted Christ into your life, can I tell you, all the misbehavior, all the ugly deeds, all the immorality, all of the anger, all of the deception, all of the hostility, all of the unforgiveness, all the corruption of your heart, you will stand and give an account for those things. You will or either it will be deflected onto Jesus the Christ because he died for the punishment of sins. 1 Peter chapter 3, for, for uh, Christ came, for the, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God in him. For Christ also once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So with this correlation, there's something that we can take away today. Because as surely as there is a miracle in the virgin birth, can I tell you this? The new birth is also equally a great miracle from God. Do you see the similarities? Both miracles are wrought in heaven. It is a miracle for a virgin to deliver a baby. But can I tell you, when all of us, our salvation story is a miracle that also comes from God himself. How God would take a reprobate sinner, someone who is unworthy, deprived, living in hostility, uh, against all that God is about, headed for a devil's hell who has a hardened heart and spiritually indifferent and suddenly will take that person and transform his life and giving him forgiveness and hope and life eternal. I'm telling you, it's a miracle in itself. 
Both the virgin birth and the new birth defy human explanation. Both are mysterious, and there will always be skeptics. Certainly there's plenty of skeptics who will deny the virgin birth, but there will be plenty of skeptics as well who deny that your salvation is really real. Oh, he'll get over it. Oh, she'll get over it. It's just a fad. It's just this short thing. Listen, men living apart from God, they never understand it. They never get it. You know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right in a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. And so those who are outside the camp, just looking in, they never appreciate, never understand the difference that Christ can make and will make in their life if they'll simply repent and believe. You know, I wonder today, this Christmas season, if there's anyone here today, maybe the Holy Spirit of God is knocking on your heart's door, and suddenly there's a conviction that you know things aren't right, that there's an emptiness in your soul, that you've been living apart from God, and indeed you've been skeptical, you've been cynical, but there is something within your, the, the recesses of your heart today that's saying this is really real, this is true, that God did love me, He did send His Son for my redemption. He, he will take away my sin, and you're moving towards belief in Him. You know what you have to believe? That Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. That he provided salvation to all who would repent and believe in him. Jesus said, behold, I stand at your heart's door and knock. If any man will open the door, I'll come into him. And I'll fellowship with him and he with me. Which brings me to my last thing. Not only a nocturnal messenger. Not only this necessary miracle. But thirdly and finally, let's look at the newborn Messiah. This great disclosure statement of the ages, as the angel says, the time has arrived. The promised Messiah is on his way. What did Paul say? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born under the law, that he might redeem us who were under the law, that we might become adopted as his own sons. So let me touch on three things about this coming one from God. Let's first talk about his name, okay? In verse 21, his name would be called Yeshua in the Hebrew. Jesus is, is the translation, of course. This is the name not given to him by his earthly parents, but given in a divine way as God would send this angel to both Mary and Joseph to simply say this, call him Jesus. You know, you study the Bible, you will see some 300 plus references of, of titles and, and, and names given to the Lord himself. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Rose of Sharon. He's the Balm of Gilead. He's the Morning Star. He is the Bread of Life. He is the Good Shepherd. He's the True Vine. He's the Wonderful Counselor. He's the Mighty God. He's the Everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. But the name that Jesus would be called for 33 years was Jesus. Jesus from the city of Nazareth. Do you realize there were some other Jesuses in Jesus' day? Matter of fact, Josephus records there were five other uh, babies born in this time whose name was Jesus. But I'm telling you this, their name might have been the same, but they never could do, never could fulfill their name the way Jesus was called to fulfill his name. It's elite 
it's exalted. Therefore, God would highly exalt him and give a name above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a name, the name of Jesus. But let's talk not only about his name, but his claim. Here's the claim that says he is God with us. He's Emmanuel. More than just a prophetic proclamation that God is with us, the Gospels declare clearly and continually that this one who has come is God himself. Jesus would declare clearly and continually, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Before Abraham was, I am. I and the Father are one when he stood on trial before Pontius Pilate. We read in Matthew 14, he was asked, are you the king of the Jews? And knowing his death was imminent, he said, it is as you said, yes. Jesus clearly declares, I am the son of the most high God. You know, you study just the little we have of Jesus' life. Only about 45 days are recorded in the Gospels. But all the way back to 12 years of age when he traveled to the temple in Jerusalem. You remember what he told Mary and Joseph, I've got to be about my father's business. And he continued with his messianic claims and the great confession until on Calvary's tree, he said, it's finished. One word in the Greek language, tetelestai, and the veil was torn, the blood was shed, and the mission was complete. It is finished. And now not only his name and his claim can we talk in closing about his aim. It's clearly understood in the meaning of his name. Yahweh is salvation. God is come in Jesus Christ to bring salvation to all who would believe. To Jew and Gentile alike. Why did God come to this earth in Jesus Christ? Well, we know that he was a great teacher of moral truth. He was a sage. He was unique. He developed and showed to us how we should serve others in this servant leadership model. But I'm telling you, it was more than that. He says, I have come to give my life a ransom for many. He didn't come to reign, but he did come to redeem. He didn't come to impress the powers. He came to save sinners. 47 miracles in the scripture, all performed that we might see through he, what he did ultimately going to the cross that he completed the mission for which he was sent. You remember what he said to Zacchaeus up in Jericho? He said, hey, come down, little man. I'm going to your house today because I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, his name was his aim. And I'm telling you, on this last Sunday before Christmas, the mission is still the same. He'll deliver you if you'll call upon his name. His name means God is salvation if you'll but believe. We believe today. We gather together as a family of faith to say, yes, it's really true. Jesus is the Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. Would you bow your heads with me as we conclude our time together? As is our practice, we give a public invitation and give people opportunity to make decisions. Maybe you're here today. God's Spirit has been working on your heart. 
And maybe it's left you feeling desperate. And, and, and maybe even flooded with ambivalence, not knowing how you feel nor what to do. Can I tell you today, here's the way God works. He will bring you to a church, a place that preaches the Bible so you can hear the clear focus of what salvation is about. We get distracted. There's a lot of side streets. But we need someone to stand and tell the truth of what is required of us. And it's certainly not about your self-righteousness. It's not about you trying to be a little better than someone else. It's about acknowledging you've got a great need and that you cannot find the answer within. But you're coming to God to say, I believe my resolve will be found in faith in Christ. Would you do that today? If you've never confessed Christ as your personal Savior, how about doing that? How about walking down an aisle? It'll take courage, of course to stand and say, yes, I believe. Maybe God's calling some of you to be publicly baptized, be immersed, to stand and unashamedly saying that Jesus is my Savior. Why don't you come and acknowledge that today? We'd love to see you come and be a part of this church fellowship. I will tell you this, I've got to enjoy it over the past eight months. These people will love you. They'll prop you up and they'll pray for you and they'll stand with you. God wants us to be a part of a church family. We ask you to come today. I'm going to pray a prayer. We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If God spoke to your heart, this will be your time to respond. If you'd like to come and pray about your situation, maybe that, that will be difficult this Christmas, why don't you come and let one of our counselors pray for you and pray with you in your need. Father, this is your invitation time. We've tried to preach as clear as we could the gospel message. And I pray now we rest in the sovereignty of our God that the gospel go forth and your word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. So Holy Spirit, this is your time. You're our guide. You're our teacher. I pray, Lord, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together while we sing. You come right now. We won't be here long. Come quickly. While we sing, God calls, come. What child is this who to rest on
Thank you, David. Well, it's about time to get out of here. Let me, let me share something real quick with you before we get away. Mary and I will not be here this coming Sunday, but I'm happy to announce a dear friend of mine is going to be preaching here. As you can tell, I always get my friends to come here. I, <laughs> and this is another friend, and he has a great connection to Hoffmantown Church. He married a girl that this is her home church, and uh, Gene McCurdy is his father-in-law. And Gene, you're here today, aren't you? Right here, right here on the second row. Raise your hand. I tell you, this is my dear friend as well, Gene McCurdy. And uh, so Susie, his, uh, his daughter is married to Cliff Lee, who's the pastor of First Baptist Church, Leesburg, Florida. I was just down at Leesburg. They've got a campus out in the villages, and Mary and I I spent a week out there and went to their new church. I actually helped them do a capital campaign about four or five years ago to build this campus at the Villages, and they just opened it about 60 days ago and had 700 out there in their new campus. And, and I helped him get a worship pastor who was from Lenexa Baptist named Stephen Hodge. He, he leads there, and he leads out at the South Campus. They've got a wonderful ministry uh, in Leesburg and in, in the Village area, and he's a great preacher. He will bless your heart. Don't you miss if, if you're in town. Bring your family. They'll all be blessed by Cliff's message. And, and uh, 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 Gene, I'm happy for you that Cliff and Susie are going to be here. Worked out for them to be here on this Sunday. And uh, I insisted he preach. And then Mary and I will be here uh, throughout January. Looking forward to the, getting going on the new year with you. Continue to pray for the search committee uh, that God would continue work there. And uh, we're trusting in that. I hope you're continuing to pray for that as well. All right. That's all we got. Merry Christmas. God bless you. Get out of here.